أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وآله الطاهرين السلام عليكم dear brothers and sisters and welcome to the a lesson per page Quran program we made it to the end of page 28 of the Holy Quran and inshallah today we want to continue with page number 29 no batil even in money matters. So you would think that Islam, you know, is a religion of goodness, righteousness, spirituality, things like that, right? And would care less about matters of this dunya, especially since in the Quran we find that, you know, the dunya is reproached, is spoken against. Although the dunya itself, I do have to say this, the dunya itself, poor thing, doesn't have a problem. Imam Ali al-Nahj al-Balagha says this too, that the dunya is not the problem, we're the problem. The way we deal with the dunya as if it's something eternal and everything we need, we can get in it. Um, or else the dunya itself, poor thing, it's just there. But you would think that a religion that uh, speaks of the dunya and warns everyone of the dunya would, could care less about what the uh, matters of the dunya uh, are like and if... If, if that religion would have any guidelines for the matters of the dunya. But the thing about Islam is that it is a well-rounded religion that addresses all aspects of life, all facets of life to a good extent. So let us uh, recite the verse and then talk about some details. The verse says, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Ar-Rajim, verse 188 of Surah Baqarah. وَلَا تَأْكُلُوا أَمْوَالَكُمْ بَيْنَكُمْ بِالْبَاطِلِ وَتُدْلُوا بِهَا إِلَى الْحُكَّامِ لِتَأْكُلُوا فَرِيقًا مِّنْ أَمْوَالِ النَّاسِ بِالْإِثْمِ وَأَنْتُمْ تَعْلَمُونَ Do not consume your wealth among yourselves by means of batil. Batil of course means falsehood. The wrong means. Nor use it as bribes to the judges in order to eat up a part of the people's wealth sinfully while you know that it is unacceptable to do so. Okay, so let me explain this part where it says, as bribes to the judges. Sometimes you're able to get your hands on someone's money, okay, without the, any help, and you take it all for yourself. Sometimes the only way you can get your hands on someone's wealth and money is through a judge and a, and a court case, so to speak, uh, rule being r ruling in your favor, okay? And so for that, you're going to have to bribe the judge. And so you won't get all of the wealth that you're trying to take from this person, but at least you're going to give a portion of it away as a bribe and uh, retain the rest of it for yourself. So the verse is saying, look, there's two ways that are wrong, that are problematic for you to gain other people's wealth and possess other people's wealth. Number one is if it happens through batil, Number two is if you do it through the help of a judge or someone who has authority and power and you try to give them a portion of it so that you can keep the rest for yourself. Both of these are problematic. What we want to talk about is that first uh, part of the verse. The bribing judges part, that is very obvious what is meant by it. But, لا تأكلوا أموالكم بينكم بالباطل Don't consume your wealth among yourselves by means of batil. Look, brothers and sisters, 
This means that even if someone is happy with, if both parties, excuse me, are happy with their wealth going to each other, but through a batil means, then it's still a problem. You don't gain possession of each other's wealth. This is so cool. Why? Because the mu'min, the Muslim has respect. And by extension, Islam also gives respect to the wealth of an individual that is mu'min, that is a believer. What stands out from all of this is that, okay, wow, look at, the, look at how detailed Islam gets. So what does this mean? Don't uh, devour and consume each other's wealth by wrong means, by haram means, by batil means. It's saying that, look, there are halal means of gaining wealth from each other and there are haram means. So for example, it, it can be halal trade, right? It can be in the form of hibah. It can be in the form of mudaraba, sulh, these kinds of things that you find in the fiqhi books, those books of Islamic law. And there is flexibility here. It's not like Islam is going to be super strict, but Islam will have its red line. So for example, for example, you can't just, a group of people get together, they want to play a game or something, they all put money in the middle, and they agree, they all agree together that whoever wins will own this, this money that is here. In other words, gambling or betting and stuff like that. That's not how it works. Even if someone wins, that money is not now part of their possession or that they don't have, as they say, milkiyah of that wealth just because they won. Why? Because winning in a game is not one of the ways to gain wealth. And when you really think about it hard, Islam, it seems that the Islam, Islam when it comes to financial matters, economic matters, whether you're one of the ones who believes in a maximal approach to Islamic economy, or you're one of those who is a minimalist when it comes to Islamic economy, right? There are some who believe that Islam has a whole way of and plan of uh, having an economy. Some will say, no, it just has some red lines. The rest is left to us. Whichever school of thought, fiqhi school of thought you adhere to, what you can say for sure is that Islam wants your money. When money is moved around, Islam wants productivity to come with it. Okay. Now there will be exceptions to this rule. Sometimes not too much productivity will come. But even there, it's pretty cool. I still remember our teachers. Even there, it'll be recommended that there's some productivity, some change coming about. So let me, let me give you an example. Okay. It's really cool. I still remember this from years ago. One of our teachers was explaining when we were going through the adab and the etiquettes of, of buying and selling and trade and all of that. Said, he said that even if you're going to buy a car for a cheaper price, let's say the person needs the money, they're, they're willing to go down on the price so that they get some cash, so they can use that cash. Islam says, he was saying this, that Islamically, if you're going to buy that car for a lower price, to sell it for a reasonable higher price, Right. All of this is halal, but it's also mustahab if you buy the car to make some repairs on it, do make some changes on it, make it better, optimize it somehow, and then sell it for a higher price instead of just buying it as is and selling it as is for a higher price. Why? Because when it comes to money matters, when it comes to this uh, Islamic economy and things like that, it seems that Islam just wants productivity as much as possible. Something being generated, something being produced. So if people are going to just gamble and bet on things all the time, 
there's no productivity. It's going to all be stagnant. And slowly, slowly, people, more and more people will be going in this direction, in addition to all the other harms of such, of such haram means, of course. There are other harms as well. But this is something that one can really conclude from all the rulings that we have when it comes to trade in Islam, is that Islam wants money to be put to work, wants things to come out of it, wants productivity, and wants you know something generated from all of this. And so if that's the case, then we're not allowed to take possession of each other's wealth, even if we're happy, even if we're okay with it, through batil means. This is really cool. And finally, I want to make this point here before we move on. Is that it's all about means, brothers and sisters. Islam is a religion all about means. All right? You know how they say, you know, the ends don't justify the means and so on and so forth. In Islam, I want to take it a step further. It seems, and I think it's safe to say, that in Islam, the ends are the means. What do I mean by this? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put us in this life, in this dunya, in this dunya, we get hungry, we get thirsty, we have different needs. There are haram ways and haram means to satisfy these needs and urges of ours, and there are halal means. Allah wants to see what, what route we take, what means we use to satisfy these needs. To the point that even if you in Islam, are, if you're an Islamic judge and you pass a verdict using the wrong means, you pass a verdict that just so happens to be correct. For example, two people are, are arguing over something, or are arguing over some wealth. This one says it belongs to me, that one says it belongs to me. You rule in favor of A instead of B. But the reason why you did so wasn't because this one had evidence and proof that the, the wealth belongs to them, or whatever other methods that are used when it comes to Islamic law to... to uh, issue a verdict by a judge. Let's say you didn't take those means. The reason why you ruled in favor of Aik is just he looks better. Alright? <laughs> That's why. Or he's your relative. And even if it just so happens that yes, it did belong to A, still in Islam you are reproachable and you are you. Uh, we have hadith that you can be held and will be held accountable. Because true, when it comes to the ends, you got it right. Right? It actually did belong to A. The problem is though, you used the wrong means. So when I say the ends are the means in Islam, this is what I'm talking about here. Even if you make it to the right destination, but you use the wrong route and you use the wrong means in Islam, that's not going to be acceptable. As a matter of fact, not only is it not acceptable, you can be held accountable. So all the way to money matters even, batil cannot be our means of gaining any money, any wealth. Let's move on to page number 30. Page number 30 says, Game over. Don't throw yourselves into destruction with your own hands. In other words, don't, don't be the reason why you end up in destruction. Okay. Now, there is a context here that I will share with you. Let's recite the verse and get into the details. Verse 195 of Surah Baqarah. <clears throat> In 
spend in the way of Allah and do not cast yourselves with your own hands into destruction and be virtuous indeed Allah loves the virtuous la tulqu bi'aydikum ila tahluka this is a very important line in this verse and on this page do not cast yourselves with your own hands into destruction okay so the context of the verse is there and I'll explain it to you but a general rule comes out of it the context is that uh, in the, in, during the Holy Prophet's time وآله, when they had to go to battle when they had to go defend themselves and defend Islam of course when you have an army there are expenses very high expenses yeah and even today the expenses and the budget for uh, arms and armies and all of that is one of the highest on the list of of, of the expenses of countries alright so during the Prophet's time that's no exception there's a lot of money that has to be spent on arming the troops or the, the, the soldiers of Islam and so on and so forth. Now let me just open a parenthesis here. By the way, the back then it wasn't like the Prophet was the only one who was uh, responsible for um, figuring out the funding and expenses of those who were going to fight on his side. It's not like that. Back then everyone would come with whatever they had at home. One person had a horse, one person had a donkey, one person had a camel, one person had a sword, one person had a spear. That's just what they, they just came with whatever they had. And so the Quran does speak of some people who uh, didn't have anything that they could use to go and help the Prophet fight. And they were upset about this. And Allah praises them that these people, they're upset that they cannot put their lives on the line because they don't have that which they can use to protect you, O Prophet. Anyway, parentheses, parentheses closed. But in addition to what people would bring along from their own homes and with themselves, of course, as much help and financial help you can get from the people, the better as well. And so people were asked to, uh, to help financially, right? And so some people might be more stingy, some people were, were you know, a little bit more uh, gracious, uh, generous and they would help out more. The verse says, look, if you don't, help out financially and the people who want to go fight and defend Islam they don't have what they need to do so if the army of Islam is wiped out then you will be wiped out Islam will be wiped out altogether look this is a reality keep this in mind so if you're gonna hold back when it comes to financially supporting a cause this important okay then you are throwing yourselves and casting yourselves into destruction with your own hands it's your own fault so that's the context of the verse now there are two things that we can get out of this number one of course is um, the financial aspect of supporting a cause is important now back then financially supporting um, the army of Islam was the way to defend it nowadays there are a lot of initiatives a lot of causes to uh, that need funding in which the brothers and sisters and scholars are doing their work to um, to defend Islam intellectually, yes, and do the work and the scholarship to answer the challenges that are put forth, whether in the face of Islam or in the face of Shiism today for us, yes. And so this is where it becomes very important if the brothers and sisters who are a little more financially set and well off, they don't step up and fund these projects, these initiatives then this might be an instance 
of la tulqu bi'aydikum ila tahluka. We can't expect to just live our own lives without uh, helping out financially and then think that, okay, somehow, some way, Allah will take care of the religion. No, it's supposed to happen through us. And no, I'm not making a, I'm not making a plug here for uh, Mizan Institute. I'm speaking in general. Inshallah, the brothers and sisters, there's a lot of good projects out there going on. And this is something that we need to keep in mind and, and not neglect. That this uh, that the good things out there need that financial support as well at the end of the day. Alright, so that's one thing that I wanted to talk about. But more importantly here, more importantly here, I want to say that for us today, in the 21st century, in addition to financially supporting all the good causes out there, I want us to keep in mind also that there's another example of casting ourselves into destruction by our own hands hurting ourselves. And this will have to do more with the youth, but not only for the youth, older ones too, but mostly the youth I'm talking to now. For the second way we can use the general lesson here that we take from this verse. The second way we can use this lesson for ourselves today. And that is to say that, hey youth, are you listening to me? An example, a perfect example of casting ourselves into destruction is to let the laziness get the best of us when we're younger. Man, when I was younger, we would always hear the older ones telling us, oh, make the most of your youth, make the most of this energy you have, this, that. We always thought we're going to always be like this. I'm going to just tell you guys right now, it's not the case, right? I'm like slowly reaching that hump of uh, 40 years old almost and uh, well right now as we're recording this I'm not 40 I'm like 38 ish but I'm almost there and I can see now like slowly we're gonna go downhill after this <laughs> so me being in the middle right now of being old and young kinda kind of kind of I just want to tell you guys man they would tell us this all the time and we were just like what are they talking about and now here I am sitting telling you the same thing so I'm not going to expect you to necessarily take me 100% serious because I wasn't taking things 100% serious when I was your age, but I'm going to do my part too and try to shake and knock some sense into us. The laziness, the procrastination, the perfectionism, the arrogance sometimes, the ignorance sometimes, the lack of patience and tolerance, all of these things, getting too close to the edge sometimes, we get too close to the edge. And we're like, yeah, you know, there's a lot of haram happening there, but I'll be careful. No, that this, if you actually go to that place, if you befriend that person that you know you're not supposed to befriend, thinking that I'm going to uh, be careful and all of that, no, 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 no. You are, you are with your own hands casting yourself towards destruction. It's a, it's a reality. If you're being lazy when you are in your teens, for example, not making the most of your time. I'm not saying don't play your video games, don't go play sports. Sports are good actually, exercise is good. I'm not saying don't do any of these things, but have a balance and don't be lazy. Like Make the most of the time that you're not playing your video games or whatever, which should be a bigger portion of your time that you're not playing. And so you have to try your best to get good grades. If having a halal living in the future depends on me either you know going to school and making it to a good a good uh, university or no me taking some crash courses get, gaining some skills today alhamdulillah like 
you don't necessarily have to have a degree. There are people out there who are doing very good in a halal way, although they might not be, they might not have a postgraduate degree. Right? Whatever it is, really. Whatever it is, what's for sure is, whether it's a degree or not a degree that you're after, what's for sure is you have to spend some time to gain some proper skills that you are good at so that when, there, when there's competition, right, you are the one who is above all that competition. But if you're going to be lazy, if you're going to be a perfectionist, if you're going to procrastinate and all that kind of stuff, spend all your time on social media or games or whatever, whatever, this is an example of casting yourself into destruction. It's going to be too late when you're 30 or 28 or something and now, oh, you know what? Time to be serious about life. No, it's time to be serious about life in your teens, in my opinion, in my very, very humble opinion. Or else you are casting yourself into destruction slowly. A person who's in their 30s, 40s, has a family and then now has to figure out a halal way to make, their, to make ends meet and isn't able to eventually and has no choice but to go towards haram. This person, it's all their fault. Who else is there to blame? And so from this verse, we take these two very, very, very important lessons. Number one, the financial aspect it was important. And so during the Prophet's time, to, to preserve Islam, there were people who had to fund certain things. Today also, people have to fund certain things and to keep this message alive for our future generations, number one. Number two, for the younger ones and even the older ones, do, laziness, procrastination, perfectionism, arrogance. You're too arrogant to like go and like sit down and learn from so-and-so something, you know? Ignorance, lack of patience and toleration, or excuse me, tolerance, lack of uh, patience and lack of tolerance, and walking on the edge, things like this, all of these can also be an instance of la tulqu bi'aydikum ila tahluka, or an example of the opposite of la tulqu, which is the fact that they are actually casting themselves into destruction. We need to really, really be careful here. Let's move on to page 31. Page 31 says, If you're going to ask for dunya, make sure to ask for akhirah too. Okay, <laughs> I like this one. I like this one because it doesn't get rid of dunya for us. It says, hey, just don't forget the akhirah. Be smart. Right? There are some people who will ask only for dunya and they'll forget the akhirah. They, that's a problem. That's a big mistake. Ask for dunya and akhirah. What's wrong with that? So let's recite the verse and then get into some details. Verses number 200 to 202. manasikakum kadhikrikum aba'akum aw ashadda فَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَقُولُ رَبَّنَا آتِنَا فِي الدُّنْيَا وَمَا لَهُ فِي الْآخِرَةِ مِنْ خَلَاقٍ وَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ يَقُولُ رَبَّنَا آتِنَا فِي الدُّنْيَا حَسَنَةً وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ حَسَنَةً وَقِنَا عَذَابَ النَّارِ أُولَئِكَ لَهُمْ نَصِيبٌ مِمَّا كَسَبُوا وَاللَّهُ سَرِيعُ الْحِسَابِ And when you finish your Hajj rites, then remember Allah as you would remember your fathers or with a stronger remembrance. Among the people, there are those who say, Our Lord, 
Give us in this world. But for such there is no share in the hereafter. They're, that's all they're asking for. Give us in this world. Okay, if that's what you're asking for, you don't want akhirah, then that's all you're going to get. And among them there are those who say, Our Lord, give us good in this world and good in the hereafter and save us from the punishment of the fire. Waqina adab nar And this is the famous dua that we do in Qunut, right? In our Salat. This is the, maybe you can say the most famous dua that people recite in their Qunut. Okay, so there are such who, there are some who say, Our Lord, give us good in this world and good in the hereafter and save us from the punishment of the fire. These people, such, shall partake of what they have earned, and Allah is swift at reckoning. Okay. So, what do we get out of these verses? What I get out of them, brothers and sisters, it's very clear that you have to be smart and ask for as much as you can. Even we have hadith uh, that ask Allah for everything. That uh, there's a hadith Qudsi that O Musa, that Allah told Prophet Musa salam, O Musa, ask Allah for anything you need and everything that you need. Okay, even the grass for your sheep and your livestock that you take out to graze, and even milha ajinik, the the salt that you need for your food and the dough that you want to make. In other words, even the most insignificant things, this, this, this is perspective, brothers and sisters. This is perspective. This is super important. Things that you know are going to come anyway, in other words. Like, come on. Grass is so easy to get access to. Okay? Some parts of the world might not have grass, of course, I understand. But look, this is an example. Like, grass is one of those things that usually a shepherd has access to. They usually live in places where there's grass for their the flocks of sheep and cows and whatever they have, their livestock. So grass is accessible. The salt of your dough, accessible, right? Now, parentheses, back then, salt was a little harder to get than today. I'm just letting you know. But all in all, parentheses closed, by the way, all in all, these are accessible things, right? Just because they're accessible, don't think that, oh, there's no need for God anymore. No, even there God is needed still. Okay, so ask Allah for everything. What's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with it. Ask Allah for anything and everything you need. You like dunya, the halal of dunya. We've, we've had verses before. قُلْ مَنْ حَرَّمَ زِينَةَ اللَّهِ الَّتِي أَخْرَجَ لِعِبَادِهِ وَالطَّيِّبَاتِ مِنَ الرِّزْقِ We talked about this verse before. That look, Allah has good things and pure things and beautiful things for the mu'mineen in this world. Ask for it. There's nothing wrong with it. But if you ask for it in the dunya, don't forget the akhirah. Ask Allah for that too. Be smart. That's what it's saying. So there are some, they get too caught up with the dunya. They're like, oh Allah, give me this of the dunya, give me that of the dunya. They forget the akhirah. What happens to them? For such there is no share in the hereafter. They don't want it. If you wanted it, you would ask for it. We've got to be smart. Al-mu'minu kayyasun. The hadith says the mu'min is smart. Right? We don't, we don't um, make the same mistake twice and we're smart, meaning whatever halal is out there, we can ask Allah for it. What's wrong with that? So look, I want us to pay attention though here. Because you know, once again, the Qur'an is a book of, you know, that bashes the dunya here and there. 
reminds us of you know how the dunya isn't something that we should put all of our eggs in that basket in the basket of and so on and so forth right but look at the verse and look at the wording exactly let's focus on it here it's not pointing out the mistake to be that they asked for dunya please pay attention to this super uh, super spiritual people out there Look, parentheses, let me open another parentheses here. It's okay to be super spiritual, but sometimes we impose it on our kids. We have to be careful about that. All right, let's look at what the Quran is telling us is the standard. If I want to be above the standard, that's fine. But I can't impose this necessarily on everyone else either. Okay, sometimes we hurt our families, our children, because we're super spiritual. They don't need to be super spiritual. Inshallah, when they grow enough to become your age, if we do things right, they will be as super spiritual as us, if not more. Okay, but we need to understand that there's a sequence and there are priorities. Parentheses closed. Let's be, let's get back to what we're talking about here. The verses aren't saying the problem with these people was they asked for dunya. The verse is saying the problem is they didn't add akhirah to it. And that's super awesome. I really like this verse. And so this is a dua that we will be doing a lot in our qunus, inshallah. There's one more point here about this verse as well. And it's, it's saying, look, if you don't ask for it, and by extension you don't work for it, of course, this is something we've talked about before as well, just asking isn't going to be enough. Bani Israel, they expected to only ask for things and Allah will take care of the rest. No, you have to live up to your end of the bargain as well. We've talked about this in previous pages. So, but at the end of the day, it is letting us know that, look, if you want something, you have to ask Allah for it. Especially if it's one of ukhrawi nature. If it's one that pertains to the akhirah. You have to ask for it. رَبَّنَا آتِنَا فِي الدُّنْيَا حَسَنَةً وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ حَسَنَةً وَقِنَا عَذَابَ النَّارِ All of it. Oh Allah, I want all of it. Why not? You can do it. I'll try my best. Why not? Page number 32. In life, you have only two options. Submission to Allah or following shaitan's footsteps. It's either or, brothers and sisters. It's not, you know, there. I'll, I'll choose none of the above or all of the above or something. No, 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 no. There are no other options. Don't you love it in a multiple choice test where it says, it gives you three answers and then the fourth is all of the above or none of the above. It's usually that's the answer, right? <laughs> but we don't have that in this test of God when we're here in the dunya. Here in the dunya, which is all a fitna and a test and Allah wants to see man, who, who is ahsanu amala, who has better deeds, to see which one of us has better deeds. In this life, okay, there is no uh, other option. Either you're submitted to Allah or you fall on the, in, in another category and that's it, which is following shaitan's footsteps. Let's recite the verse. There are some uh, details here that are very important in understanding the lesson we're supposed to take from this page. Verse number 208 of Surah Baqarah. It says, 
إِنَّهُ لَكُمْ عَدُوٌ مُّبِينٌ O you who have faith, enter into submission altogether and do not follow in shaitan's steps, don't follow his footsteps. He is indeed your manifest enemy. Alright. So this verse, look at how it begins. This is important. This is very, very important here. Because submission can mean either to submit, meaning embrace the faith, like the Prophet tells the people, submit to Allah, meaning become Muslim. Right? Accept Allah as your Lord and the one who deserves worship. Sometimes submission means in beliefs or in belief. Sometimes submission means to follow what Allah wants from you. Let's see what this verse is talking about. After you've believed in Him. Here, it's very clear. It says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu. O you who believe. Okay, so the assumption is that we already believe. Right? This verse is not addressing the mushrikeen or the kuffar who haven't believed yet. Now it's, it's talking to us, the Muslims, those who've already uh, embraced the faith. What's it saying? It's saying, now that you have faith, don't think it's enough. You have to enter into submission altogether. So individually and just altogether as a whole too. This shows that there is something in a collective submission to Allah as well. And different faiths, I'm not going to say just Islam. Um, I have uh, studied Judaism and Christianity as well to an extent. Um, and I have a degree in that. And so, But the problem with it with me is I forgot everything I studied. It was a long time ago. I do remember this though. That according to the Judaic tradition, um, the Messiah will return or can return the day when everyone as a whole lives up to the laws of God. Yeah. And so us as Muslims also, uh, or as Shia especially, we also have this idea of the day that the people as a whole are living godly lives and living in accordance with the prophetic teachings is when maybe the return or the appearance or reappearance, however you want to word it, of the 12th Imam or the final Savior is going to get closer and closer. Yeah? True, the world will be full of dhulm, but at the same time there will also be a collective awakening before the dhuhr. This is what scholars tell us based on whatever reasoning and, and um, traditions they have. Alright, so having said all of that, according to this verse it seems that there is something in a collective submission to God in addition to the individualistic one and individualistic submission to God. Alright, so having said all of that now, what is the opposite of submitting to God? Okay, the opposite of submitting to God is to not have submission in God to God. But that's not how the verse words it. The verse words it like this: it says, "Either you have submission, or." You are following the footsteps of shaitan. Where did shaitan end up? We know where shaitan ended up. He ended up in nowhere. <laughs> because he was somewhere, 
awesome, then ended up somewhere else, got kicked out. Allah is letting us know the opposite of submitting to Allah is going to be what? It's going to be following the steps of shaitan. That's a big problem. But I no, no, I don't want to be submitted, oh Allah. I don't want to be submitted and I don't want to follow the footsteps of shaitan. Which one? Show me a third option. There is no third option. That's the thing. <laughs> That's what this verse is implying. That there is no third option. Shaitan believed in Allah. And he still believes in Allah. Till the day of judgment he will believe in Allah. That's why on the day of judgment when people are like cursing him and saying you got us in trouble and all of that. He says look I had nothing to do with it. I just whispered to you. You answered my call. That's all. I didn't do anything. You did it all. Right? Get away from me. I don't care about you. I did I, I disassociate myself from you, myself from you. Inni akhafullah, he says in the Quran. <laughs> I fear Allah. Wow. Now what does that mean exactly? It's a different story, but a person fears God when they believe in him. So he still believes in Allah till the day of judgment. And he might even still love Allah. And he didn't want to prostrate to Adam because he's like, I don't care about Adam. All I care about is Allah. You know, maybe, maybe some might argue. But I mean, in the end, if you're not submitted, that means you love yourself more than everything. Your ego. And that was the problem with him. The arrogance kicked in. The asabiyah kicked in. The takabur kicked in. All right, so shaitan believed. His problem that got him in trouble was what? Was lack of submission. Total submission to God. So if you're not submitted, you are just replicating the shaitan model. Now, when you follow the footsteps of shaitan, does it mean that, okay, now I'm necessarily going to end up in Jahannam? No, but if you continue following these footsteps, yeah, in the end that is Jahannam. Surah Rum, verse 10, very important verse, says this. It says, Thumma, that the fate and the end result and destination of the ones who they did bad things. In other words, they weren't submitted to God in doing that which God wants from them. They did bad things instead. Their fate was eventually that they denied God's signs. That they left the faith as if. So having faith is good and all of that, but if we don't have submission to God's commands, the do's and don'ts, the wajib and haram, we are, it's, it's, it's a scary path we're going down. We're going down a scary path which has shaitan's fingerprints and footprints all over it, and we all know where shaitan ended up. So yeah, it's not like one sin, two sins, oh my God, I've, I'm in the footsteps of shaitan, I'm doomed. No, there's always repentance and all of that. But if you continue this path and all of a sudden end your life ends while you're on such a path, then we, we are going to be in trouble. So it's either or, brothers and sisters. There is no third option. Once again, I have to reiterate, it's not submission or jahannam. It's submission or these the footsteps of shaitan which can lead us to Jahannam. And so if it's either or and there is no third or fourth option, it's like a treadmill. I always use this example, brothers and sisters. Life is like a treadmill, right? It's not like what the other guy said, life is like a box of chocolates. No, it's not 
Although I never saw that movie, but that line was famous back in the 90s when we were growing up. But life is a treadmill. It's like a treadmill. You either got to run on it or walk on it, move on it, or you're going to fall off. You can't just say, no, I just want to stand here, nothing happens. Uh-uh, that's not how it works. You either are going to move in the right direction or else you will fall and you will snap something up. Yeah. And so this, uh, this verse, these details of it actually really, really uh, stand out for me. This idea of, oh, you know, just love God and have a good heart and all of that. No, no, that's not how it works. Be submitted also. Once you love Allah and you embrace Allah and you have faith in Allah and the, the faith in the prophets of God, once you do all of that, that's just the beginning. That is the cornerstone, of course, the faith. But then you have to build on it through your submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Page number 33. Even the prophets would sometimes ask, when is God going to help us? So, we're sitting here hundreds, if not thousands of years later after the Prophets of God. And we're reading their stories and we're like, man, look at this story, look at that story, Noah's Ark, Prophet Adam, Prophet Musa, you know, all the stuff that happened with him and Fir'aun and all the miracles and all that and all the hardships they went through. We're reading them as if they're stories. But are they stories? What are we supposed to get out of them? Let's recite the verse first. Or, yeah, the verse. Verse 214, 214 of Surah Baqarah. Verse 214. Do you suppose that you shall enter paradise without going through similarly what those before you went through? Stress and distress befell them, and they were shaken until even the apostle, the prophet himself, and the faithful who were with him said, When will Allah's help come? Now this is talking about not our prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi. It's talking about previous prophets. The Qur'an is telling our Prophet about them. So it would get the going would get so tough that even the Prophet himself and the faithful followers of his would say, when will Allah's help come? Our answer was, look, Allah's help is indeed near. So it seems they had to reach this point for the help of Allah to actually come and be close to them. So let's talk about this. As I said, we're sitting here hundreds and thousands of years later reading their stories in the Quran or even maybe in the Old Testament, okay, for those who might be reading those books, you know, who are who are not in the uh, uh, Islamic faith. Whatever, whatever. Let's talk about Muslims right now. Us as Muslims. Reading the stories of the prophets before. Are we supposed to read them for entertainment purposes? Of course not. Are we supposed to read them and say, oh my God, wow, God is so great. Look how He helped the people before. Look at all the miracles that happened before, things like that. Well, that's good, but no. The verse is saying, 
Do you think that you're going to enter Jannah while you are hearing of all of the things that happened to those before you and the prophets before you and all the hardship they went through and that's not going to come your way? <laughs> think again. These stories that we're telling you, these stories are there for a reason. Yeah, that there's always a chance any of these things that befell those before us will also befall us. So we need to be ready to be strong and be patient and steadfast. That is what we have to get from these stories. If Allah brought us into the dunya for these reasons, and we talked about this in our previous session, when we talk about how life isn't always going to be sweet, and there's going to be loss of life, loss of wealth, loss of fruits, and so on and so forth, and the ones who believe in inna lillah or have the mentality of inna lillahi wa inna ilahi raji'un, those are the ones who are the sabirin and the muttaqin and Allah's salawat is upon them. Right? We talked about this before. If that was the if that's the reason for us being here, so the tests come, Allah, when He tells us the story, uh, the stories of previous prophets and their people, He's not just telling us so that we know about all the cool stuff that happened of miracles and so on. We're like, wow, mashallah, mashallah, wow, wow. You know, not, not, no, it's a lot more than that. We are supposed to read that so that we know this is going to come our way. Do you think you're going to enter Jannah? Do you suppose that you, will, you shall enter paradise without going through similarly what those before you went through? That's the point of all this. Alright, so that's one, I think, a very important lesson we take away. Look, it reaches a point where? It reaches a breaking point, brothers and sisters. This is important here. It reaches a bre breaking point where even that the prophet of God is saying, okay, where is this Nasrullah and aid of Allah that's supposed to come? We don't see it. And apparently when you reach that breaking point of brokenheartedness, of desperation where you feel like it is only Allah that can help, that's when Allah helps. That's when Allah says, Look, verily the help of Allah is near. I was just waiting for this moment. I am training you to reach Tawheed. Before this, you thought that you could figure it out on your own, this and that. I am helping you now. Because now you reach that point I wanted you to reach. Even with the Prophets of God, SubhanAllah. Even with the Prophets of God, Sometimes Allah will let it, let it reach a breaking point first. There is, these, are, these are lessons of Tawheed for us. Oh, you thought, uh, uh, Mr. So-and-so, Mr. So-and-so, you thought that this person was going to be the one who eventually helps you. You had put all your hopes here, you had put all your hopes there. No, no, no. Even when it comes to eat, taking medicine, know that you were supposed to take the medicine, but healing and the cure and shifa is from us, Allah says. It all comes from me. This life is all about us reaching a point that we understand that Allah is behind everything. But that only happens after a continuous life of obedience to God. Allah shows us these things. So that breaking point, that desperation, the heart breaking, that's when the Nasrullah will come. Now is this always the case? No, but this will be the case sometimes, brothers and sisters. So, and so we have that famous hadith that Allah says, "Ana When the heart breaks is when I'm going to be there. I'm going to be with you. Right? I, I, sometimes some of these youth, 
they feel that they've found the right person, but for whatever, one reason or, or another, the parents, for example, or whatever the reason is, they are not able to get married to that person. And so their heart really breaks. I tell them, okay, well, if this isn't working out right now, at least make the most of this situation that you're in. At least make the most of this situation that you're in to call unto Allah more because Allah in that famous hadith is saying, When your heart breaks, I'm listening, I'm there. At least let's make the most of that opportunity. That's one lesson I take away from this verse on, on, on this page. But there's one more thing I want to remind all of us which I think is super important here. Super important. That is that, look, even the prophets are pushed to the breaking point. So guys, brothers, sisters, young ones, if I in life struggle and suffer from some crazy hardships sometimes, and we ask Allah to ease upon us these tests really, but if it reaches a point where I am really in grave hardship, does that mean that Allah doesn't like me? A verse like this is telling us, no, that's not the case. Because even the prophets of God reach the point where they're like, where is Allah's aid? So we have to understand, just because you know things aren't working out. Just recently, one of my good old friends, I don't know if he's watching this or not. He's younger, of course. He's like maybe 10, 12, 15 years younger than me. He messaged me. He's like, Shaykh, you know, everything was working out. You know, this, that, uh, work, school, you know, future spouse even, all that was working out. But then slowly things started to de deteriorate. And now I see like everything's horrible and nothing's working out for me and this, that. Why is like, is God upset with me? Is God, you know, I was like, God doesn't like me, things like that. I'm like, listen, man, if God doesn't like you just because you, f you see a, like lots of hardship now happening, things that are out of your control, excuse me, what Imam Hussein went through the worst of the worst. Does that mean Allah doesn't like him? <laughs> Lady Zainab salam went through the worst of the worst and witnessed the worst of the worst. These stories, these verses, what the Ahlul Bayt go through, what the Prophets of God went through, they reached a point where it was just almost unbearable. These are not a sign of God not loving you anymore. Well, let's get that straight at least. So two lessons we get out of these verse, that out of this verse. Number one is that the don't expect what happened to those before us not to happen to us and we're just going to go into Jannah. No. Number one, those things that happened to those before us and even the prophets will happen to us, maybe. And if they do, we have to be ready for them. Number two, just because bad things happen is not a sign that God doesn't like me anymore. Why? Because look, even the prophets, bad things would happen to them. The imams, bad things would happen to them. And so they didn't give up their hope in Allah. They didn't think that Allah doesn't like them. As a matter of fact, they would call unto Allah more and ask Allah for aid. And when the time comes, Allah's aid, inshaAllah, will come our way. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Allahumma nawwir qulubana bil Qur'an. Wa zayyan akhlaqana bil Qur'an. Wa najjina minan nari bil Qur'an. Wa adkhilna al-jannata bil Qur'an. اللهم اجعل القرآن لنا في الدنيا قرينا وفي القبر مونسا وعلى الصراط نورا وفي الجنة رفيقا 
ومن النار سترا وحجابا وإلى الخيرات كلها دليلا برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته